welcome back to uh, the now called Decibel uh, Decibel Wines podcast. I I didn't exactly get a cease and desist for wine as food, but uh, there was a uh, of all places Pennsylvania where I kind of first started working in restaurants. My family's places. Uh, a wine maker, um, owner of a vineyard, who who copyrighted wine is food, and I've had that email since about two thousand four, wine is food at gmail dot com, and had always had an idea to do something with it, and I went to look up the website a year or so ago, and and I finally got in touch with the guy, and he said, "Sorry, mate, I got T-shirts made up, and but I, yeah, where are you at, New Zealand? I'd love to hear more about your wine, and come on and visit me, and uh, so maybe next time I'm in Philly, I'll go check them out, but it's something like." moon dancer winery or something and it sounds like there's uh, a lot of effort put into events i'd be interested to taste the wine but uh pennsylvania wine has not quite made its international mark yet but uh we are international and i'm here with jeff wilson the current giblet gravels administrator or what, what is uh, that executive officer. executive officer sorry yeah part-time uh, so what <laughs> So, uh, what does that job entail? I, I kind of know, but what would you say, if somebody who doesn't, we'll, we'll get to the Gibbet Gravels in a, in a bit, which mm. uh, I think a lot of people are interested in, uh, but what does that that job sort of uh, entail? Or, or uh... Okay, well, you think after 10 years in the role, I would have figured 10 that, years? I didn't figured know that, that one out. <laughs> well, yeah, part-time, as I say. Um, uh, essentially, it's... I guess it's been the link man or the liaison between the uh, winery and grower members uh, that all um, collaborate mm -hmm. in the form of the Gimlet Gravels Wine Growers Association. Um, I'm the only guy on the payroll. Um, my neutrality uh, in terms of non-affiliation to any individual producer is I guess being um, uh, a bonus, um, yeah. certainly for getting the role in the first place, um, but undoubtedly um, I hope that lack of bias to any particular member or, or particular varietal style, if you like, um, would has, has stood me in good stead. I haven't heard anything terribly negative out there about <laughs> you. So. Well, terribly negative is Okay, I'll, I'll yeah, take I think that. it's more your issues outside of that role that no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's a it's kind of an interesting position because it's well, it's New Zealand's first appellation, right? Or official appellation would it be? Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. You've talked about copyright and um, uh, Gimlet Gravels is actually a trademark, and without getting too technical. Um, Trademarks and geographic indicators stroke appellations are um, not necessarily totally in sync. So uh, that's probably a story for another day. But um, yeah, essentially that's how Gummer Gravels was established. It's this unique piece of dirt, dirt. Um, 800 hectares. Hey, hold on a second. I just want to check something. So um, yeah, we're at its... Um, Formation, which was before my time, but in the late 90s and uh, early 2000s when 
when the association or, or at least Gimmick Gravels was conceived. Very much the driving force behind that um, was to create awareness of this unique piece of dirt, 800 hectares. Was it, size. I mean, but was it from the beginning that everybody realized? I, I, I personally know some of the story about, you know, Alan Rimmer going to the council and fighting for that land and all that. But yeah. from an early stage, how, like, for instance, that guy and Chris Pask and these yeah. guys who were yeah. uh, fighting the good fight, if you will, hmm. did they know the sort of reaches of this soil type and things like that? Or was it was it pretty vague at the beginning? Well, um, I guess uh, it was vague in the sense that when the land was identified for potential um, grape cultivation, the first grapes that went in were the likes of Mulatourgau, Chenin Blanc, and yeah. Chardonnay. Um, and but uh, the, when the first red grapes went in, uh, which would have been very much early eighties, the the first wines to come out of that, uh, which was I think ostensibly it was the Pasque wines. Um, 85, 86 off mm. the top of my head they were they were gold medal winners yep. straight off the bat so I think that was definitely uh, that signaled the potential for the land um, but uh, it wasn't until probably late 80s and maybe even into the mid 90s um, with a run of vintages that the reds were really starting to show consistency um, and of course, now we're at the point where it's ninety percent red planted, mm -hmm. uh, ostensibly Merlot, Syrah, Cabernet Sauvignon. But there are there are little pockets of white, mm -hmm. um, Chardonnay, Chardonnay definitely a little bit of Gewurz, uh, oh. Tramina, Stonecroft, oh, Stonecroft, still, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. running with Gewurz as a Babbage. Um, but inevitably, the, the the move is towards towards reds and the variety that has um, increased in planting over the last decade has undoubtedly been Syrah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except for delegates. Yeah, delegates um, have a slightly different take on, on things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's fair to say. Um, they're very much Merlot focused. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I guess it's working for them. Certainly buying up lots of stuff. So, um, and well, it's, I, you know, my first introduction was working at Tiawa with Jenny and, but even that piece of land is partially on and partially off the gravel, the giblet gravels. Is that right? Well, that was my first introduction to, to wine also. That was my second part of my was, question. Um, yeah. was working with Jenny at Tiawa. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean the, the the key the key element to Gilmot Gravels is that it's defined by its soil type. Mm -hmm. So the, um, it's got to be very uh, what we term classes one through four um, gravels and various phases. Anything that doesn't fit that um, soil type profile uh, is deemed to be outside the uh, the boundary. So the boundary is by soil as opposed to by geography and what that does mean that in the case of Tiawa it kind of sits on the boundary um, so 
notionally between Amahu Road and Natarua Road is the area known as the Gimlet Gravels Wine Growing District. Uh, Tiawa sits on that that sort of Natarua end of the fringe, and uh, so hence you've got land currently. I think that's been used for um, vegetables, onions, yeah, yeah, etc. Yeah. Which I think they're developing now. Which I think I understand will probably be developed into grapes, um, but will um, potentially um, be uh, part of off, yeah, 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 and and potentially might form part of the Bridge Par. Triangle Wine Growing District, um, which will sort of bump what, what about uh, a unique thing in New Zealand overall, even Hawke's Bay, is the hillside vineyards of um, uh, Balancia, Trinity Hill, uh, is that even though they probably weren't formed by the Nararoa River, yep. but are they... and they could be gravelly up there. Is yep. that Gimlet Gravels? No, we, we, we like to term those as Gimlet Heights. Gimlet uh, Heights. That's <laughs> exciting. But uh, no, they, they overlook the uh, the gravels. So um, the the gravels, uh, Gimlet Gravels Wine Growing District is essentially the old riverbed. So when the Nararo changed course back in the 1860s, uh, it left behind the riverbed, so it's the it's the flat, um, uh, stony soils that you see. Anything that sits proud of that or or butts up to that, uh, if it doesn't meet the soil type, it ain't gimlet gravels. Mm -hmm. No good, and then that's a, was that a bold move? I mean, no, you said you weren't there at the inception, but yep. as far as saying this is the gimlet gravels district, I'm. I haven't heard of that, and I, I don't, I'm not the biggest, you know, geographical Appalachian guy, but I, I know a decent amount of yep. uh, European wines, yep. and uh, I always thought it was more of a latitude, longitude, you yep. know, sort of regional thing, yep. you know, you know, right away I think of Bordeaux and Burgundy and places like that, and yep. it was kind of this side of the river and these hills and this, yep. this area. Uh, is there other Appalachians that are strictly soil? Not that not that we're aware of. Um, so I think in that sense it was uh, it was understood to be pretty innovative. Yeah, it's cool. I mean that's that's, really, that's yeah. the Kiwi way. Yeah. Um, and the precursor to all that was Gimlet Road. Um, so uh, the first plantings were largely down Gimlet Road, and uh, as what I've read uh, going through some historic documents is that Gimlet Road was going to be. A drag strip? <laughs> no, that was parallel, parallel to Gimlet Road, uh, where where the the former Hatton Vineyard is situated. But um, yeah, the, the if you read the the heritage of of the area, and indeed the name Gimlet is an old family landowning okay. name. Um, See, I didn't know that. Everybody yeah, yeah. Me. I um, said it's named after the road. Yeah, you know? <laughs> no. Well, the, the, there was a family uh, of gimlets, and they had the land. They farmed the land, or attempted to farm the land. Interestingly, um, they tried to run sheep, uh, not very successfully. Yeah. But um, there is one sole surviving gimlet who, ironically, lives in Nataroa Road. Oh. Uh, lovely lady Judith Gimlet. Now she shared with me that, and it was her grandfather who um, originally um, had the land, but she shared with me that the, the gimlet lambs would always go to the meatworks a couple of weeks earlier than any other area in Hawke's Bay because they matured so fast. And I thought, wow, that's amazing because here we have now with grapes, typically 
the grapes in the Gimlet Gravels wine growing district <laughs> mature a couple of weeks ahead sure, of anywhere else. Sure, but I would just think they would never mature because there wouldn't be any grass to grow out there because it's... it's... Uh, yeah, there, there was like three sheep to the acre. Was, okay, yeah, okay. So there weren't that many, but um, I just thought it was... Uh, and yeah. Bearing in mind, I'm not a viticulturist and I come from a wine drinking background. <laughs> um, but I, th I found some kind of interesting sort of parallel um, no that's cool that's cool because that. um yeah having worked out there i try to explain to people uh that if we go just a few days without rain that things turn yellow really quick uh, you know just on the the base on the ground you look around yep. you know and uh and there is variability throughout you know there's a little bit cooler areas and things like that but overall uh it's pretty it's pretty cool to watch you know, even in rainy seasons that we drain a lot quicker. Exactly. Know? But I remember back in 99 at Tiawa, mm -hmm. um, standing out, it's probably been built over the actual area that, that I'm standing in because now it's a restaurant and it's had all sorts of buildings added onto it. But I remember standing out in And the, more to come. And more to come. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. sure. But um, in what was the, the sort of the uh, the car park area, and it was 40 degrees. Yeah. You know, it was an incredible season, really, really hot. That wasn't 98, that was 99. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it kind of subsequently cooled off a bit, but that was probably around January, February of 99. Um, just so when it's hot, it's hot. And, and there were days recorded this year in 2013 that were nudging 40 degrees celsius mm. so oh without a doubt yeah, yeah so you can get some some real heat there as well but you're right i mean that 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 free draining uh capacity what it what it seems to um offer is a consistency and i think if you look at the run of vintages um and I've tried to keep a record of all the accolades and awards for, for the wines um, back to sort of 98, 99. There aren't many vintages where, um, you know, wines have, well, in fact, there are no vintages where wines haven't achieved yeah, gold no, or, 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 or trophies. Everything else. And I even, I, sometimes when I'm driving work, <clears throat> driving to work down, uh, highway 50 i even think to myself that's yeah, a shame there's a road here because <laughs> we could probably have more vines yep. and uh and just a, a you know a, a dirt road in between it or yeah something. or if dare i say for our flaxmere viewers uh, listeners um you know <laughs> if we could maybe just shift a couple of your uh, properties then there would be more but i think there's a, a unique um um charm in the fact that it it really cannot get any bigger. I yeah. Mean, um, and I think that will, um, I mean, there is a double-edged sword to that because the the amount that you can produce um, of Gimlet Gravel's wine is is obviously fairly minimal in the, in the, in the world scheme of things. But um, the, the quality that is, is um, showing its potential means that I think the, fu the future is pretty bright. No, no doubt. And, but it is, uh, interesting on a international scale. And we do have an international audience here at the decibel wines <laughs> podcast, uh, for people to, to say, you know, and it's getting, I'd say it's kind of at the sommelier wine buyer level at this point. It's definitely not a even, uh, wine, uh, I'll use the word on wine advocate and say the magazine, but, 
uh, wine sort of connoisseur, wine you know daily drinker who would know regions. It's certainly from what I see, like in the states, uh, in Canada, and places like that, and talking to people, even some wine writers are. Yeah, Hawks Bay, okay, East Coast, North Island, they do reds, right? Okay, Giblet Growls, oh, I've read about that in some articles, okay. And it's at that stage where, and probably in the UK, it's at a much better stage than that. Yep. But on a global scale, you're fighting an uphill battle where New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc's been so successful. Pinot Noir has done so well and yep. sort of uh, is certainly uh, good timing uh, to ride the wave of, you know, the Pinot files that have showed up in the last uh, 10 years, probably. Uh, I had a guy say to me, uh, maybe it was you, I don't know, that uh, people growing Syrah, what they really need to do is talk to a Hollywood writer and tell them to just write a really good movie about Syrah. <laughs> and because that's what they kind of needs to push it over the edge. And it's, it's interesting. I talked to chefs, I talked to, you know, real people who know their wines and, and then even people who don't even know they're drinking Syrah when they're drinking Rhone Valley um, Syrahs. And you realize the versatility of Syrah. And uh, I had a long conversation uh, with Jenny about this. And we always talk about stuff like uh, about Syrah being how it is very versatile and there's a lot of different expressions. And uh, it's it seems like if that's going to be the one that really pushes it over, which seems like that's what it is, or what's going to be uh, that there is going to be that little hump to get over internationally. But, you know, we're not talking about millions and millions of liters here either. You know, we're talking about a pretty specialized area. Yeah. I mean, um, as somebody who has perhaps uh, gained a little bit more of a uh, uh, voice over the years, I've tried to bring in a little bit of a voice, uh, not not a reality check per se, but just to um, uh, add a note of of caution about Syrah in particular. There is this, um, undoubtedly there is this um, really positive vibe about Syrah and and certainly from what's in the glass and in the Mm. bottle. Um, that's that's totally justified. Um, with a sort of a marketing hat on, I just um, would note that um, currently, I think in Hawke's Bay or, or New Zealand, it's just over 300 hectares planted. Yeah, tiny. Uh, it's, it's really, um, really minuscule on the uh, world oh, stage. I'm sorry, uh, hectares for those people out there is 2.2 acres. So <laughs> we have some... Uh, right. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but so, so no, we're not talking massive plantings. Absolutely minuscule. Uh, the vast majority of it is in Hawkes Bay. I think off the top of my head, there's about 140 hectares um, in within the Gimlet Gravels. But there's there's twice as much Merlot planted as there is um, uh, Syrah, uh, and Syrah's plantings have increased and. Um, I think you were you were at the uh, the tasting when I mentioned that in ten years Syrah plantings have increased by about two hundred hectares, whereas in the commensurate period Pinot Noir plantings in New Zealand have increased by two thousand hectares. So, so there is a, definitely a scale thing um, that um, you just got to be conscious of that that you're going to put in this time and effort. It's still going to be a sort of specialized. It's yeah. It's yeah. and and. I would like to see more um, 
appreciation 